that's fine. It's it's this this doesn't have to be perfect. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 301. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prillin, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. And tonight, for this very special episode of JudgeCast, we have on the one and only Billy Willie, Matt Williams. Hello. Hello. I thought the special episode was last week. It's every episode is a special episode. <laughs> every <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's it's oh, like okay. it's like those old sitcoms from the from the nineties on a very special episode of Blossom. You know, <laughs> you know, he pulled Blossom out. Wow. Yeah, okay. obviously there Blossom. We you know, there we go. Joey Joey is addicted to uppers. Whoa. whoa. Yeah. Whoa. All right. <laughs> so it's a different show, but okay. What's that? I feel like it's oh, a different show, but okay. Okay, fine. Jesse is hooked on uh, pills in Saved by the Bell, on a very special okay. episode of Saved by the Bell. Yes. Okay. And that is a wonderful segue into our topic of head judge announcements. You know, that's a terrible event, segue. That's it's a an terrible, awful, terrible segue. It's an segue. awful segue. And if I wasn't on uppers, I probably could have come up with a better one. I'm so excited. Yes, but we're going to talk about head judge announcements. What you need to say, what you don't need to say. Like and that. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> right. Oversharing is bad, kids. Yes, absolutely. This intro already violates like all of the tenets of what you should do, what good head judge opening announcements are. But, hey, you know, every event has some form of head judge announcements. Have any of you been to an event where there has been zero head judge announcements? Like, on purpose? Uh, I think the shortest I've had is welcome to round one go. <laughs> right. Yeah. But we're going we're gonna to look at uh, what the framework is, and we're not just going to give you a static list of things to say. We are going to give you a static list of things to say, but we're not just going to give you that. Um, no, because, because every event's a little different, right? Every event is its own unique, beautiful little snowflake, unique in and 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 delicate. Um, but yeah, pre-releases, FNMs, RCQs, all the way up to the Pro Tour. Dun dun dun. So yeah. Uh, all right. So four head judge announcements. Obviously, welcome to round one. Go is about the barest minimum. It's sort of like a wedding. Where the, the, the priest is like, do you? Yes. Do you? Yes. Great. You're married. You know, but there's other stuff that that makes uh, uh, head judge announcements and goals of what the head judge announcement should be achieving. What might some of those goals be? Well, I think the goal is to give the participants in the event the right information at the right time. That sounds easy. And <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, sort of. I mean, the announcement's should be fairly easy, right? Because if you're going into something that's overly complicated during that time period, you're trying to give a deep information to probably too many people. So you're really trying to give the highlights at that point and follow up on an individual basis as need be. So I think uh, you know, you, you're know operating under the assumption that they don't know everything, but you want to give them what they need to know when it would be relevant to them. And so talking about when the top eight needs to report in round one of a 200 player event is kind of silly 
because those people don't need that information right now. But talking about how many rounds you're going to play, that's pretty relevant in the first couple of rounds of the day. Yep. So it's it's very likely that even if there is information on the websites uh, or the event sign up, that there is information about the event uh, and what what the player should expect. But you as a judge should not necessarily expect the players to have read that or to be familiar, or you might have new players. This is their first time at a uh, an RCQ or their first time at a pre-release or a local game store. So you do want to set some form of expectations and give some sort of direction as to what the players can expect. But you don't want to give a full laundry list of everything, because if you do, they're going to tune you out. Um, what, you what, assu from, oh. what assumptions can we make about players when they come into these events? What, what assumption can we make about the information that they already have? Ideally, they know what format their event is, <laughs> and they brought the right deck, but I mean... And, and there are there's there are certain assumptions that you can make with regard to the level of event. Okay, for example, yeah. at a pre-release, you will make less assumptions about what the players know than at the pro tour. Like at the pro tour, you expect them to all know what a deck list is, but maybe at an RCQ, you know, every every so often you get some players that don't know what one is. Yeah, I mean, all joking aside, I think you're you're hitting it right. You know, you need to tailor your, your expectations for those players and the expectations for those announcements based on the type of event that you're at. And, you know, how far do you think someone would reasonably travel to, right? So if you're doing a pre-release at a, a small store, it, probably people didn't travel you know, from a different country to play in your event uh, unless you are on a border or something like that. Whereas if you're talking about, you know, at MagicCon, uh, Vegas coming up, you know, people may travel internationally for that event. And so your announcements and expectations of what they know need to change as well. And so the goal, the goal, as, as, as Billy Willie said, your goal is to convey information. And at a pre-release, you can make the assumption that, as I said, with, with people not traveling, that most people at this event, or nearly all of them, speak the same language you do, um, whereas at a pro tour, perhaps they don't. So in terms of idioms or jokes or a type of style and flair that you might add to the, your own announcements, as the possibility of, of different languages raise, as the probability of, you know, bad PA systems and lots of players talking over each other and being difficult to hear, you have to change what you are saying just to hit the highlights. You, you, have, you have less freedoms, I would think, as you get higher up with larger groups and, and, and a more diverse population, player population. So that's so cool. Yeah. But, uh, but, but what, what really does need to go into, you know, your average announcement, whether it's a, uh, an RCQ or um, a, G a, a GP. He's. <laughs> I wrote GP in a in a in a tweet earlier this week, and I couldn't believe I was talking about something that just does not exist anymore. Um, whether whether it's a large event or a small event, what are some pieces that really do need to be a part of your average uh, head judge announcement? Well, I think you know the the announcement is a good time for you to at least introduce any relevant 
uh, folks that are at the event. So whether that's, you know, obviously the person making the announcement is probably pretty relevant, but if there's a TO, if there are other judges that you need to point out, uh, if there's just anything going on that is special to that particular location, you want to probably talk about the format of your events. Just, you know, even though I said they probably know what format they're playing, it is worthwhile just to remind peaks that we're playing this format for this many rounds. And if you know, you're at a competitive event, you want to point out that, hey, there's some expectations for you. Those are all kind of things I want to make sure. I'm sure there's a couple of things that you guys can think of. Yeah. So one of the things I actually wrote down when I was making this list, I was like tardiness. You know, I normally announce what the tardiness is. And I think that that actually is something that's not necessary anymore. Like, like on, on retrospect, because way back in the day, tardiness was variable. Like events could have a zero minute tardiness policy, or they could have had like a three minute tardiness, you know, tardiness policy. And that's gone. And that hasn't been, yeah. that hasn't been the case for six, seven years now. Yeah. Like codifying what tardiness is the way that we have now. I don't I agree. I don't necessarily know that you want to draw attention to it you just enforce it as it is as policy is and yeah. and, and while it may not be specifically a part of uh announcements at at large events these days what i am seeing very commonly is a tendency towards the head judge making announcements to state something about two-thirds of the way through the announcement typically as as pairings have been posted uh that if players need help finding their seats to please raise their hand or to see a judge so that the judge can help assist uh, the players get to where they need to be. I think something that's changed since, uh, you know, the return to events that we've seen over the last year and a half too, is making sure how are you going to submit results being a bigger thing that we need to communicate. Right, know? right. Okay. Because, you know, that's actually, as you scale up the size of the event, become more of and more of an issue is making sure people are submitting the results. So just reminding them, like, if whatever software you're using or means, like, if you're in a small space that actually is still, for some reason, using you know a paper method, you know make sure they know that if it's through EventLink or you know another software like Melee, you know make sure that they know how to end their round. <laughs> yeah, which is not a thing that we had to worry about before, and gets increasingly difficult as you get into situations where you want someone to submit via EventLink or Melee, but not everyone has a cell phone. And I know in in Florida here with the Command Fest that we've had in the past, about 20% of the players are allergic to using event link. <laughs> well, the other thing too is we use our phones so much nowadays that if you don't come with a, a battery backup or take time to charge your phone, there's a good chance that halfway through the event your phone's dead anyway. <laughs> So you're relying on a judge staff, a tournament staff to, to yeah. help you out. And in some spaces, even you may not want them to report the result. Uh, I know at the, the pro tour in the feature match area, we ask them not to submit the results immediately and we take care of it for them. Uh, the coverage staff does. And so it's just like, there's all these little wrinkles. And so just making sure people know, like I said before, the information that's relevant to them at the right time. And so early on, you want to talk about the stuff that's big picture, that questions that someone might ask you right at the start of the day talking about how they collect prizes isn't a start of the day question though right right um uh well potentially for uh short short events 
like uh, one round or oh. two round convention style events. Yes. So yeah, absolutely. So Sorry, I I scaled up in my head. I went like things that are five six rounds. You're probably not talking to them then. But like I also think that it's yeah. If you're giving up prizes immediately for you talking about it, but like for things where it's like two or three rounds, even then it's like I try to talk to them in round two because you're giving them so much information during the beginning of round one that it's easy to get it lost in the mud. But and so giving them that information in round two is typically when they're uh, ready for it. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. That with the short shorter style events, that you can spread your information out just a little bit. You don't have to give it all to them in one lump sum at the very beginning when it's only like two or three rounds. Yeah. So let's look at. So since we've started talking about you know differences for for specific events and specific formats, let's talk about those. So. We talked about we want the number of rounds, if there's a cut to the top eight, what the what the rel is, what the format is. Um, if you need a judge, call for a judge. Okay, these are all fine things. But let's talk about specific formats, and we'll start at the, the most casual and then work our way up progressively uh, all, all the way up to Pro Tour level stuff. But for a pre-release, what are some types of uh, opening announcements or head judge announcements that are unique to a pre-release? That you probably don't want to start making too many of these announcements uh, after they've had their product in their hands because you've <laughs> now given them the shiny object. So you tend to want to try to give some of these announcements before all of the product has been given to everyone. Like it's fine if, if you're working by yourself, you're kind of stuck here where you're going to probably need to give some announcements while either passing it out or pass it out and then give it give your announcements. But just know that they you're going to lose their attention while you're doing that. If you have other people who can help you, making announcements while stuff's being passed out is probably your best bet to get through it. But I think you're really looking at what's special for that particular pre-release. You've got those more casual players that that come out because like, hey, I'm going to play in a pre-release because it's new and exciting. And that's maybe their only time that they play in through it. I know a couple of the stores in my area definitely have players who are pre-release only players. Otherwise, they just come to the store, buy stuff, and go home. And so knowing... How many cards go in their deck may be relevant for them. Knowing uh, what cards they can use, because we've seen some weird stuff with the different pre-release promos and what's actually playable. And uh, really, I try to say a high level of what mechanics are. I wouldn't deep dive into more than, wouldn't deep dive into any of them, but I would consider highlighting one or two uh, that have, have tricky interactions. Like like for Lord of the Rings, to, to highlight what Billy Willie was, was talking about, for Lord of the Rings, the pre-release kits, uh, which, which first off, for pre-releases often you have uh, are sealed, okay? But you had two promos in the pre-release kit. One of them you could play in your sealed pool, and one of them you could not. So making that distinction as to you are go- about to open a thing and in that thing, there is a card you cannot play with, okay? Another question that might come up is, what does it mean for the ring to tempt you? Because that, exactly. was, a, that was a question that got asked a lot, is what does that mean? Because not every pack had a card in there, the token in there, that told you what the ring tempts you mechanic is. Um, another and thing... Is it... Go ahead. No, you... Uh, another thing that might come up, especially with recent sets, seems to be uh, Day Zero Errata. Uh, every once in a while, they'll print a card, and it'll be missing a keyword to how players will interpret or understand the card. 
Um, it's It didn't happen, I don't believe, with Lord of the Rings, but it has happened several times in the last year or so. So Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely occurred uh, a number of times. And sometimes it's not necessarily relevant information. I remember there was one where like the word artifact was left off of a creature, but like mm-hmm. in the grand scheme, it wasn't, I mean, obviously it changes it a little bit, but it wasn't a huge deal. Um, I think while this isn't necessarily specific to pre-releases, it, I think it happens enough. I remember playing a lot of two-headed giant at pre-releases and just reminding the players that both the kits can be used while building your deck. And I think we talked about, you know, calling for a judge. This is a great time just to remind players, hey, if you have questions about how your cards interact, come see me. I think it's really important at a pre-release. Right. Don't don't go into it if you are doing, say, for example, an all-will-be-one pre-release. You don't need to go into how double-sided tokens work now and making a copy of a double-sided token or if if you create a token that is a copy of a double-sided permanent, it is now also doubles. Like, that's not the level of information. Yes, it's new rules changes for that pre-release, but it is not relevant, or it's not going to be relevant enough that you want to hold up all 30 players for that one in a hundred question that you might get asked. Yeah, you're looking more at stuff like, how does Trample and Death Touch interact if both mechanics are in the set being relevant than that thing is? Right, right. So, so <laughs> right. the big, the big, the big stuff. Uh, these are the uh, these are the packs. This is this is if there's anything weird about the pre-release, uh, the pre-release kit, a brand new complicated interaction that is going to be seen a lot. I.e., the ring tempts you. Those are those are perfect things to to address. Uh, I would also say for a pre-release, pointing out where the land is going to be is is something that you want to address. Or, and if the, or, or, and any, or any sealed environment, really. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And if it comes with anything that's you know neat, like uh, I know a lot of them come with spend on uh, life counters, or you know, if there's something in there, you know, make sure everyone has all the right stuff. You know, hey, you should make sure you have all six packs when you open your box. Though, you really want to make sure that everyone's having a good time. I think pre-release, you're super focused on getting a minimal amount of information out to the players, but set them up to have a good time opening some sweet new cards. Yep. So a lot of those same rules apply to FNM as well, although instead of uh, a sealed product, the, uh, people are bringing their own decks. So that sort of event actually can get away with a lot less information because you aren't necessarily dealing with uh, uh, pre-release kits. Uh, maybe possibly still a complex interaction if it's you know release weekend or something like that. But in general, because you don't have deck lists or anything like that, you can get away with very minimal minimal information. Can you guys think of anything that's kind of unique to an F and M? Drafting. If if drafting mm-hmm. is the format that's being done, please make sure that you're telling players to zone draft and explain zone drafting. Don't even just ask them. Just just tell them this is what zone drafting is Wait. and how it works. You don't you don't use you know call drafts for your F and M's, Charles? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no. So if you ask a group of players, do you know what zone drafting is? Yes. The odds, they're all going to say yes, <laughs> even if they don't. And there will always be one person that will sit there and start making choo choo trains. So do please, what? please. Choo-choo trains, you know, when the, the cards are lined up in a little train of... Okay. You get it? Uh, <laughs> yes. Draft. Uh, yeah. 
So that's that's kind of one of the things. If you have a small group and you're doing and you're doing drafts, just ex- unless they are regulars and you recognize every single one of them as a repeat drafter, explain explain zone drafting very very briefly. Yes, I think I think the one thing that I would see being different at an F and M than necessarily a pre-release, like pre-release, is trying to get players to play their uh, the new cards as fast as possible. FNM is likely to be a more regular crowd, I would suspect, in most places. And so I think this is also a good time to plug whatever else the store has going on. Like, I'm not, don't get into like an infomercial on the 12 next events that they're going to be running, but it might be a good time if there's something special coming up to just say, hey, next week's our pre release or next week's our RCQ. Uh, and actually doing that in the round ones when you have most of your players because you're not spending that time talking about you know what's in the pre-release kit you can afford that one line plug on what's going on with the store yep and and for uh pre-releases you're seeding players to do builds when you're doing several of these announcements um and you're gonna you're gonna break these announcements up so you're gonna have some set of announcements that you're going to give uh right before they start building and then you're gonna have another set right at the beginning of round one after everyone's seated for round one. With a uh, F&M, you are not seating any, you're not collecting deck lists or anything like that. There's no reason to seat anybody for a player meeting. You have no build instructions or anything like that. So you seat them for round one, and then you do your announcements, and then tell them that they can start. Okay, that's a, a, you don't need to seat for player meeting uh, at an F and M, order of okay. player operations apply. You know, you, you you want to do things in the order that makes sense to the players, makes sense to the event, makes sense to the venue that you're in. Um, and that's kind of a segue for RCQs. I haven't been seating players for a player meeting for RCQs either. I've been seating them directly for round one and then just doing my announcements there. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense depending on the size of them, right? Like, yes. I think if you're talking about a sub 60 player event. Mm-hmm. I think it makes a ton of sense to go right into round one, save that time. I mean, you'll yeah, you can sort those deck lists in a reasonable amount of time. You get to where you start getting to over a hundred players. I think you really start looking at what makes sense for you and the staff you have available. So, so let's, let's talk about that. Like when you would, because the announcement that you do have during a player meeting can slightly differ based on if you're doing a player meeting or you're going in directly into round one, what factors would cause you to decide to do a player meeting? Pre-registration. Uh, if you're looking for no-shows? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the one that I can think of right off the bat when we talk about size, because when we're talking about size, we're talking about uh, a 60-player event. They're often all registering same day, or maybe they pre-regged, but you know they're all known quantities and they're all there. When you're talking 100 players or more, oftentimes there's some pre-registration um, device that's happening. And if that's the case, you definitely want to do that that player meeting so that you can figure out who's there. Yeah, because once you start the event, like this this isn't this isn't where Event Link and MTG Companion are not friendly. They do not help you in this particular case. Once you start round one, if 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 you go directly into round one and you have no-shows, you have no ability to drop those players and pair, you know, if you've got two players that are sitting across from an empty chair, 
you don't have the ability to just break those matches and pair those two players and go without repairing the entire round. Okay, so if you are in an event where there is the possibility of a lot of no-shows, um, then a player meeting um, where you can see who is there and who isn't might be the way to go. Um, and in that particular case... I can also see if you... Go on. I, was like, I can also see like if you're capped on space and you've got a waiting list, if you've got something that's being handed out to the first so many players, if you need the players organized for a particular reason by name, um, I think that's like the, what, what I'm thinking of, unless I'm missing something else. No, no, that's, that's if you need, if you've got an, if you need to pass things out to a certain, certain people, or you need to, it's large enough where you need deck lists in order, sitting players in an alphabetical order and then picking the deck list up in that way is a great way to get those lists in order. Yeah, but it's it's predominantly like if you need to get an accurate list of how many players are, you've got a wait list, and you have to do manipulations before you start round one, because Event Link is not, is not your friend with making changes once round one starts. Okay, so again, a player meeting is where your head judge opening announcements would be. You just also, if you are deciding to seat players for a player meeting, you have a goal for doing that. Make sure that you work that into your announcements. Otherwise, you're just trolling the players by adding, you know, eight minutes. And one more round of musical chairs. Yes. You can, you can say uh, also, uh, so if you don't, you don't do a player meeting, or maybe you, you do, is uh, I would tell people if the event, since an RTQ, is whether or not this event gives out one invite or two. Okay. Um, specifically for me... Uh, if it gives out two invites, that uh, that changes the uh, the semifinals to be the final announced round of the RCQ. And that was sure. recent. That was recently clarified, wasn't it? By by uh, I believe by Carter. Was it? Yeah. What did they say uh, Carter said that um, that if you're giving out two, that it ends at semifinals. Okay. Good. I hadn't seen anything official, but it just made sense to me, so I rolled with it. Yeah, so. there was something in one of the Dream Hack. Uh, discussion groups or, or somewhere um, about that. I, I think the important thing here to, to also touch on is anytime the players have physical deck lists for a, like, for a competitive event, you want to make sure that they know the first time they sit down across from someone whether or not that's their opponent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Making it very clear, hey, this is the players meeting, or hey, this is round one, uh, because how much they're going to guard their information is going to depend on that. Yes. Yeah, like, at this time, I would like you to pull out your deck list. Please be aware you are seated across from your round one opponent, you know? <laughs> Seems like a critical exactly. bit of information, yeah, yeah. Right. That's Yeah, because if someone just pulls out their deck list and just sets it, lays Slams it out in it front on the of table. Them, <laughs> yep. So, um, They're just confident in their choice, that's it. Oh, yeah. That's a baller, baller load of confidence. So, yeah, uh, that... Um, Again, any sort of TO announcements that they have, uh, check with the TO, incorporate any sort of announcements. And if they start getting a little long-winded, you know, then tell them or, or, or kind of review with them what they want to talk about so that they're not also going on for a long period of time. You can, you can be proactive with that, though. It, instead of actually inviting them to talk, um, you can walk up to them and say, hey going to be doing announcements shortly. Is there something that you would like me to promote for you? Um, there, there's different ways of doing this. Do whatever you feel most comfortable with. Do what you think they would appreciate the most. 
you know, work through that. And if they have longer it, announcements, say, can can I do this in round two? Yeah, I think the, the point here is anytime multiple people are going to be talking to a group of players, whatever the size is, having a plan on who's going to talk about what, because you also can make sure that the flow makes sense. Because if it's just going to be a real quick thing, they may you may want them to be the last person to talk. And if it's something that's going to take a bit, you want to make sure you place them in the right place in the announcements. Or if you're passing out a bunch of stuff, that's a perfect time for someone to be talking for a while because the players are already a captive audience. Makes sense. Okay. So in general, an RCQ is going to be the top event at a store, at an LGS. There are some larger stores that might run uh, 1Ks or 5Ks in their location, but we are going to go from talking about RCQs to more of a convention or ballroom magic type setting, okay? Will there be dancing? Mm, I hope so. A little, a little Sadie, Sadie Hawkins dance going on? I, I can... Never mind. <laughs> Depending on your style, there could be the appeals dance. Um, so let's, <laughs> let's, talk about, let's talk about how your head judge announcements change in a convention setting. I think one of the main things is being aware of how much other announcements, uh, just attention-grabbing things are in your space. It could be a vendor. It could be uh, a content creator who has a booth for something or artist. There's just going to be stuff going on that's going to be distracting. And there might be, like I said, announcements coming over the overhead. So just trying to time your announcements when you are going to be successful in conveying information is important. Uh, I think it's also really important to use language that is clear and less likely to be uh, mistaken for something else. So I think I've noticed is people will say, you are not able to do a thing. And while that's usually clear if the person can under can hear you, but if they can only hear every couple words you're saying because of the noise, they might miss the word not. And now you've conveyed something you didn't intend to convey. Okay, right. And at an RCQ, at an FNM, when you are talking, you have the entire room's attention. And or you can you... reasonably expect to, right? Like, right. You're the thing that's going on that is the most attention uh, needed. Like, you, you, you're the one who needs the most attention. Uh, whereas, like, if there's a cosplay contest going on behind you or Dr. Judge is showing up doing some weird stuff at the event next door. Hey, uh, now. You aren't, you're not the thing that's going to be getting the most attention. And there's a lot of ambient noise at, at conventions. And you do not have the microphone, necessarily, for a 40-person uh, mystery booster sealed event. Or, or you could okay. have a microphone. And the mic could be some kind of a local system that doesn't project quite as well as you need it to. Yeah, so the, the big the big thing, one of the big things to be aware of, as as Billy Willow was saying about being clear, is you also need to be aware how far your voice can carry and the shape of your event. If your event is a very long row of tables, so it's very rectangular, it's a long rectangle, people at the other end of that rectangle will not be able to hear you. Whereas if your event is more square-shaped, you might be able to move into it a little bit of that and, and and be able to project. So you 
might even need a second person at the other end of the row saying the same thing that you're saying. Okay, so you might need to might need to plan out exactly what's going to be said. Here's a little note card with what I'm going to say, and we're not going to deviate from that at all. Yeah, and I've, uh, a thing I've seen used successfully when you're doing the echoing is actually the first person will say it, then the other person on the other side will say that same thing. Uh, it gives a chance so you're also not yelling over each other, but you can also kind of listen in to make sure you are still on the same page. If I'm telling you that, you know, you should have six booster packs of this sweet set, but the other person echoes, go ahead and open your packs. Well, now you know that something went wrong. Right. Um, you also want to say, whereas earlier we were talking about how to record your done or record your results, uh, we also want to say where the end of round time is going to be displayed. Like you want to you want to be specific about when you announce the beginning of the round, this round will end it here. And here is where we are displaying that because you will be asked that question a lot. So if you can give the players a single place to look, a single place to check and tell them where that place is, that will a help the players and help you as well. Well, the other thing, especially when you're talking about a convention space, you may not be the only judge that is responsible for that event for its duration. And so passing that information along is really important. So having it somewhere that someone can double check really goes a long way. I know that's not an announcement, but I think that it just helps communicate information, which is what this is about, right? Announcements are always about getting the right information out. In certain events like the pre-releases at uh, Magic Fests is telling people what they what to do if they want to drop after they get their product. Because there is a, a lot of people that, or if you have an event where you expect that players are going to get sealed product and then want to drop, that is a thing that needs to be part of your announcement before players start getting product. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing that kind of happens when uh, people get a package of limited events and they may not just not have time to play in the event, but they want to make sure they get their value out of it. Um, also, conventions are where you sometimes get weird formats and a lump two-headed giant in the list of weird but uh, no no you should because for whatever reason i've seen a lot of two-headed giant at at these events and, and it seems to be almost increasing in popularity if anything yeah well to it what's what's and we said this in the two-headed giant uh, episode a while back it's like what's better than going to an event with your buddy and then meeting up with your buddy at the end of every round to talk about how you did. It's actually blaming your buddy for your loss. <laughs> yes, blaming <laughs> them for the loss is even better. <laughs> right. But if, if your format has any weird stuff, like the play draw rule for Two-Headed Giant or how mulligans work, or maybe an unset Dr. Judge thing, like what's, what's an example from Undivinity? Like stickers? <laughs> stickers, attractions. Well, stickers work. Stickers work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there are there any other like uh this Gavin Verhey mass confusion event or whatever? Those are really cool, by the way. Pe people just seem to those events sell out almost immediately. They're great. Well, yeah, because they take the cards and then they sell them on Facebook for 
you know, thirteen hundred dollars for a stack. It's of not all about the dollars, Prillman. It's about oh. the experience. Yeah, 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 but no, I think the <laughs> experience is right, dollars. <laughs> the 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 strange formats definitely uh, come up, and you want to make sure that you're giving the right information so that the players are up for a good time. Uh, Two of the Giants, one of my favorite things to do in one of my favorite experiences at a larger convention was doing a two-headed giant draft. Had an absolute blast, uh, but definitely still needed to be walked through it the first time because it was a new and a different experience. Yeah, I'd actually have to refresh beforehand, which is probably also a really good thing if you were doing one of these non-standard events is refresh yourself before you give the announcements with the rules of how a two-headed giant draft would work. And if you can, ask somebody who's done it before because, you know, experience is a wonderful teacher yeah without without looking it's a draft is it's four pairs and then everyone picks two cards or each team picks two cards from the packs as they go around yeah you, each team's given six packs you go take two pass left pa- take two like normal draft from there just you're taking two each time okay so it's, go it's through six packs it's eight teams draft no no it's four teams it's four teams okay Two rounds. Well, it's the same number of packs you'd normally see. It's just you're drafting as a pair. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. It was unless something's changed recently that I've missed because it has been a while. But I feel like that's a pretty there's okay. no reason for that to really change unless you're doing something with like commander draft packs or something. <laughs> so that's that's at a con, at a convention and generally speaking at a convention you are one judge among many. Okay, other judges are also making their announcements, that kind of thing. So while you are, you know, in charge of that particular event, you may get swapped out to take a break halfway through. That's that seems to be the way it works a lot of times is you end oh. up taking a break in the middle of your event. Oh, 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 I just thought of something. It's really important and it's going to hurt me until I say it. So I'm going to say it. Okay. Um, when you are working a very large event with multiple events happening around you, Anytime you want to do an announcement for your particular event that you're in charge of, please make sure you're stating who you're talking to at the very head of it. Um, Simply saying there's three minutes left in round rather loudly will confuse many players who aren't in your event. You need to say... Yeah, it's a really good good point. You need to say, players in the 12 p.m. two-headed giant event... Your round ends in five minutes, or whatever you're going to tell them, but but lead off with who you're talking to. Gosh, you have to do that, please. Yeah, and I think you have to notice just the size of the event around you, right? Like if you're if you're doing an event and it's the only thing in the entire area, you can kind of cut that a little bit. But to your point, Charles, you're absolutely right. I've definitely seen uh, players make or judges make announcements. All right, players, five minutes, you know, five minutes left in round, or this is turn five. And they're like, what? And it turns out their event is like butted up next to another event. And so there's like a group of modern players who should be going into their lap round and a group of standard players who just sat down like, what? <laughs> now that's at a convention at a convention setting, but a lot of convention magic also has large events at the same at the same venue. Like we're talking the the ten the five Ks and the ten Ks or the twenty-five Ks or even larger. So in that particular case, you are up there on the stage and making announcements, presumably. So how does that differ, or what are some things that you might want to do in that particular setting? Charles spoke about 
being mindful of your volume when you're making announcements uh, in person. And that actually is even more important uh, when it comes to using a microphone to make your announcements. It's being able to make sure you're projecting into that microphone in a way that is audible to the crowd because you're going to be further away. Like if you're just trying to yell at 20 players in front of you, you're going to get a pretty good immediate feedback on if they can hear you or not. But if you're standing on a stage and you are 100 feet away from your closest player, they're not going to even notice you're doing anything because the voice is just coming from the sky most likely. <laughs> and so, like, you, if you're not getting their attention, you don't know if they're just zoned out or if the mic's not working. And so uh, I tend to, if I'm in that position, try to get a judge to be out where the players are and give me some sort of feedback as soon as possible. Um, and you can do that usually with those larger events. You're going to be making announcements earlier on where you're saying, you know, if you've signed up for this, here's how you're going to find your seats or this is the last call to sign up. Or So trying to get to where you use the microphone before it's time to give opening announcements uh, is a great way to get ahead of that problem or that potential problem. And even understanding in advance whether or not you're going to get to use the microphone. I, I guess it depends on the size of the event. I've seen 400. <laughs> I've seen 400 player events where they expect the head judge to just be able to stand up at the at the head of one of the tables and announce to everybody. And I've seen the complete opposite where it's a 32 player event and they're handing the microphone off. But here you go, do your thing. Um, you don't always know whether or not you get a mic, and and knowing that well in advance helps you plan better. There is such a thing as practicing certain voices, like practicing your mic voice and practicing your I don't have a mic voice. Like those are very different speaking skills that while are not technically an announcement, they are things that you want to think about. Like you do want to have an idea how you are going to project. And there are certain people that are much better at projecting uh, across audiences. Like there, uh, Michael Aerosmith, there is just something about that man's voice that carries. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, this is also just comes into, you know, knowing what you're good at. If, if you're a, you know, a soccer spoken individual, you're judging in, you know, not your primary language or you have some other reason why being loud isn't going to work for you it is perfectly okay to get somebody else who can do that for you. They can still tell them that you're the head judge or still defer to you for whatever they need to. But the important part here is communicating with the players, the information. And if you're not the best person to do that role, that's okay. Let's try to make sure the right person, someone else can. Yeah. E Ego doesn't play a role in that particular aspect. You know, you, you want the loud person regardless of who they are. And even if they're not you. Yeah, and I can often be a loud person, and there are just some times where I'm not the right person for the space, uh, or I've lost my voice because it's now the <laughs> you know going to be the fourth or fifth time I'm trying to make round announcements, and I just can't do it anymore. So. Yeah. Okay. So is is there anything is there anything in large events when you are on the stage and you have the the mic? Okay that you want to include for these large events that is different from, say, an RCQ? Because a lot of times, I mean, they still got a lot of the same bits and bobs. Here's the format. This is the number of rounds. This is the number of players. Is there anything that's different or special? Uh, I think you end up with, you might be giving more information about the venue uh, that might not be as readily apparent. So 
you're talking about where you might need to tell them where bathrooms are. You might want to tell them where lost and found is, since you have enough people where things might go are more likely to be forgotten. Uh, those are things that kind of stand out immediately. Maybe where food is, <laughs> if it's going to be a larger, longer day. Uh, yeah, so telling them where the food is might be more relevant since you're going to have them there for a longer day. But realistically, when you're talking to such a large large crowd, you unless you're filling for time, you, you have to be mindful of how much time you're actually taking up. Uh, because for every second you're talking, you know, you're adding up. It's that much time for that many hundreds potentially of people. Well, not not only that, but uh, there, there are a lot of events that run simultaneously in a large hall. Um, yeah. So you have to be concise and to the point, not just because of your messaging, but because three other judges need to use the mic to convey information to players in other areas of the hall. Now, you said something that I hadn't quite thought of. Matt, you said unless you're stalling for time, what would yeah. be what would be a example of stalling for time? So it's less common now with the at the switch to more uh, digital decklists. But let's say you're you're doing, uh, for example, in Vegas, there's going to be the the big limited event, right? And the they're going to have to be passing out decklists. They're going to have to be passing out product. They so you have judges who are passing out a lot of things to these players most likely and that just takes time and so rather than the players be waiting with not any idea what's happening if you're giving them relevant information that they should have at that time while these other tasks are being completed it doesn't make them feel as though they're waiting there's like a, a trick that airport design has done you know people don't realize how long it takes for their bag to show up to baggage claim if they have to walk for 10 minutes <laughs> and that's kind of the thing it's kind of the thing here it's like if it's going to take 10 minutes to pass out all the stuff, if the ju head judge is making announcements for five minutes, going over some stuff for the day at a slower pace, well, by the time the last few people are getting their things, it's only been a couple of minutes. It hasn't felt like quite as long. <laughs> okay. All right. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I could also see if you're having like a tournament issue where like the software is bought, like causing a hiccup <laughs> or you're trying to get like the scorekeeper trying to add a couple players because they didn't get in or they didn't give the right information. Um, I could see, you know, the judge or the, the TO making an announcement at that point that's talking about something that, while not irrelevant, isn't something they necessarily were prioritizing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what sort of, uh, it has been a good long while since I've been at a pro tour, and I don't necessarily know if I was paying attention to what the head judge announcements were. Are, are there anything different or unique about uh, head judge announcements at the pro tour? So not uh, you get to in that situation where you kind of you don't need to talk about like what REL the thing is. You don't need to really talk about uh, most rulings and that kind of stuff. You really may you may talk about a very specific one because you start getting into a its own you know special event in the sense of the event is being closely watched by Wizards of the Coast. Um, you know, Scott Larrabee is going to be there at every one of these. And so he may have guidance on how they're going to handle a unique issue because you're often dealing with a new set or dealing with new mechanics or doing something in a different way. Uh, and I think we've talked about this, or I've heard this talked about is there's a difference between an event that happens to have coverage and coverage that happens to have an event kind of <laughs> mentality. And the project is very much a, there is coverage that just, and the rest of the events kind of following along behind it. 
And so things like how you're handling deck lists, how you're handling uh, a particular ruling, and th- those kind of things can potentially be conveyed to the players. Like uh, there was a Pro Tour recently where they did pool registration for the limited deck and gave every player their opponent's pool list, not their deck list. And so we had to talk to the players about what that would look like um, at one point. Now they swin- they've since, uh, I wasn't in Barcelona, but in Minneapolis, we went back to what we had more traditionally done, which was that that was a process that was only done for the uh, featured draft pods uh, rather than the entire pool of players. And so that limits the number of players you have to give that information to. Uh, the The coverage area where the feature matches are is pretty self-explanatory at that kind of event, so you're not really needing to give those instructions on where the feature matches are going to go, but you may have to at a, uh, a slightly re- smaller uh, scale tournament. Okay. Um, and also, uh, Pro Tours have breaks, right? The Pro, the Pro Tour has uh, a break. Uh, after you complete the limited portion, uh, it has been tradition to give a lunch break. And so the head will need to make that kind of announcement. Or um, you also, this is one of the situations where I talked about when you have multiple people using the microphone. The Pro Tour is a high, uh, highly structured event and such that you have um, often it's, and recently it's been Jared Silva, who's been the uh, tournament operations person, and he'll make a lot of the announcements for the head judge. And so the two, whoever's using the microphone in the head judge or appeals judge role needs to communicate with Jared or, or Scott Larrabee uh, the, just to, on who's going to say what, uh, because you don't want to give the same announcements over and over again or miss an announcement because you thought someone else was going to give it. Um, the other thing that's uh, the information that does get conveyed that is unique to the Pro Tour, I think, or, or fairly unique, is the qualifying for the top eight when you reach a certain number of wins. Uh, that's a piece of information that needs to get passed along to players as it becomes relevant. You often don't make a large announcement for it, but often you go talk to the players who are getting close to that threshold to let them know what they're going to need to do uh, if they when they reach that uh, okay. ranking. All right. Um, okay. Uh, Charles, you've got a note in here about a story that you want to tell for a non-standard summer set. Oh, goodness. I mean, we come off of Pro Tour, now we're going to talk about unsets for two seconds. Sure. Um, So one of the things we have to be careful about when we're doing announcements is we have to be careful when we use numbers, um, when numbers may affect the actions of players. Um, By that, I mean, uh, let's say that if you're drafting and you're giving instructions to, to drafters, they're going to be drafting one card at a time, right? Uh, in certain cases, they're drafting two cards at a time. Uh, in other cases, they may need to draft three of something and able to make it work, like attractions with uns- with Infinity. Anytime you say a number, you have to be careful that you're very specific about what the number's in relation to, because you will have players that are first-time drafters that may hear that they need three attractions to work and figure that they need to draft three cards at a time. Or that they need to have, <laughs> whatever the situation is. It's really important to be just super clear about that stuff because it yeah. can lead to confusion. And that's the last thing that you want. And and that's a, that's a thing for not just convention magic, but all, local, all, all like, formats, all, all like places. I, yeah. Like I believe yeah. 
Commander Horizons has draft is going is two cards at a time. It is two cards at a time. And then what you'll want to do is the week after when you're in your store and you're back to drafting mom or you're drafting whatever you're drafting, you need to remind players then, by the way, only draft one card at a time. You have to get on the back side of it as well as the front. Maybe I'm misremembering. Wasn't there a recent set where the first pick you took two cards? There was one of those too. From there on it double was... double <laughs> Was it Double Masters? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was there yeah. was something where you did that too. Um, you, just just be aware of what the the current rules are for that kind of thing, and make sure that you're being really clear in your messaging. Uh, talk about it even in between. You you can do that with a smaller event in in your store. Talk about it leading up to it. Make sure players are aware of what's going on before you even give announcements. And Charles, I think this brings up a really good point that we were talking about. You know, being mindful of making announcements to events. Uh, and you said, you know, if you're going to call time and around or give announcements to a specific event, make sure you announce that event before you go into your, the rest of your information. Just being aware of what's going on around you and what the current uh, climate is when it comes to what are the current formats, what are the current sets, having that information. The more information you have, the better equipped you are as a judge to answer whatever questions. Because oftentimes uh, players will come up to you with partial information and looking for you to help flesh that out for them. and the more information you have, the better you're going to recognize what it is they're trying to explain to you. This is similar to when a player is like, I'm looking for this card that it's red and it deals three damage to a player. You know, there's a number of cards that do that, but like you start, the more you can uh, know what they're talking about, the better chance you are to fill them in on, you know, hey, it's actually Lightning Bolt. Sure. So what will happen is, is you'll be working an event in a large hall. You'll be running your own thing. You'll be there and thinking that you're doing it by yourself or whatever. And a judge will come up to you and they'll say, hey, what event are you running? They're not necessarily being social. They're trying to figure out how they can help you when you're otherwise occupied or when they get called to, you know, help out, help take a call in your area. They, they're, they're, uh, they're doing a little bit of recon and that's good. You know, please help them and and do the same in return. Find out what events are running around you at the same time. All right. So uh, we've got another note on here regarding proxy guidelines. <laughs> I threw that in there. I had to because we've got it's becoming increasingly apparent that uh, the whole idea of competitive EDH is going to continue to be a thing. It's going to continue to develop. So understanding what they are in advance of an event is really important and stating it clearly in your announcements is even more so Sp specifically if it's if it's a large if it's event, a proxy it's friendly like event a, or not and and i think at at command fests and stuff like that those the the events that pay dollars are not proxy friendly uh specifically or, uh command fests scg um nrg uh, those will those will not be proxy friendly when it's sanctioned it's not proxy friendly um, but if it's a one-off running in a bar um, it may very well be proxy friendly yeah they're they're real card friendly they're they're uh they're counterfeit hostile events let's phrase it that way yeah because proxy is a weird proxy word friendly. anyway they're not proxy friendly they're counterfeit hostile events um so uh but yeah but like, if Yes. To, to, to bring this back into like real situations, you know, if it is a situation where uh, you have back when like Nexus of Fate was our big problem, like we actually had to make announcements about what we were doing for that card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, those those are things. <laughs> that was a real problem. <laughs> yeah, and that and that normally needed to be taken care of before the event started because you you had to take care of it before the event started because if you tried to take care of the flood of people that needed that card proxied when the event started, you were going to end up delaying the event. Gentle listener who's oh. not aware, uh, Nexus of Fate was a card that was only printed in foil and tended to warp. Uh, so what? they would do uh, after the first time event or two where there were um, difficult decisions being made about penalties. They decided to allow head judges to uh, issue proxies for that card at the time of the event. So you would go up, you would talk to the head judge or the appeals judge or whoever was doing it that day, and they would issue you a proxy just because that card was unplayable. Yep. And then you'd have like proxy stations where there'd just be like like three or four judges sitting at a table and you would just come up and be like, I have, I have four Nexus of Fates and they would grab four islands and a Sharpie and write Nexus of Fate. Usually, usually it wasn't an island because they were playing islands. Okay, fine. A revised planes, (laughs) which is the best (laughs) card to proxy. I I got to function both as the person making a ton of those proxies and the person signing a bunch of them. (laughs) (laughs) Look at this assembly line. So you just one person yeah, signing them and one person because, do, yeah because the deck was super popular and everyone who needed it needed four of the cards. So yeah. It's just anyway you have to assemble. Um, one. But yeah, no, I think realistically, uh, this is just one of those things where you're talking about event specific uh, announcements, making sure you know. Uh, I think a really good thing to think about is put yourself in the shoes of a player coming to your event and figure out like what are the the three most likely questions you would ask if you were a player and make sure that you have a, a method to give them that information. Um, so like, to go back to like the RCT thing is one of the f- questions I want to make sure I know the answer to is how many invites are we giving out? Um, that would be a question I think a lot of them would want. And so just make sure that that's one of the things you're going to cover. Uh, goes a long way. Sounds great. All right. So some optional things um, that have seen, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, uh, the nuts nuts and bolts for things, but then there are some optional things that you might add to kind of make it your own from a head judge announcement standpoint. Um Perlman, we know you're gonna tell it we know you're gonna tell a dad joke. I would love I love dad jokes. And one of the things if you if you think about when like the 2015-2016 era of like Star City events, players loved the puns about please keep food and drink off the table, you know, and the talk about the, uh, was it the tabernacle of ginger ale and stuff like that. Players would anticipate those to the point that when they didn't do those jokes, there were complaints. Yeah. So adding, <laughs> adding a particular, adding a particular type of joke. Um, there was, one event we had on an East, an SCG event that we had on Easter, um, Easter Sunday, where uh, every time a round was announced or in the head judge announcements, there was rabbit jokes and bunny jokes and egg jokes throughout the whole day. You know, just make sure that they're quick. They're not like paragraph long things. So dad joke one line puns are awesome. Um you know, uh, those those also help keep players' attention, especially if they're expecting it. Um, maybe if the event is is, eh, never mind. That's no jokes are important. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of comedy or levity helps break up the day. It, it, 
certain formats lend itself to it more so than others but even just something in your head judge announcement that right that helps break the ice is uh is is a fun thing and you should do it the less international your crowd is though the better a joke will go over or the more thought you have to put into it depends on your perspective <laughs> um some some other things um you can talk about tardiness you can talk about where to find food if um, if you're in a local shop where to find the bathroom yeah it, it's amazingly important as the day progresses um and another thing to keep in mind is and we've talked about this a little bit because we we've been a little over the place is not everything needs to be announced at the beginning of the event for example we normally the last two rounds before the last two rounds we make some sort of announcement about bribery you know and improperly determining a winner we do not make that announcement at the beginning of round one why because it's not relevant no one's thinking about round six like what they're going to be doing at the beginning of round six at the beginning of round one okay um so you can you can break things up if it's at the end of round three, you take your results to the prize wall at a convention. You would make that announcement, maybe round two, maybe round three. You don't necessarily have to make that announcement at the beginning of round one. Um, that kind of stuff. Uh, are there any other announcements that might make a little bit more sense to spread out throughout the day? I think you. So I think you view announcements. You know, you have every time you have the players seated and it's the, they're just getting seated, sit down before they start playing. You have a chance to tell them something. You have to evaluate whether or not there's something that's relevant at that point. Uh, if you're having an issue with a certain card, it might make sense to make an announcement about it uh, in the middle of your tournament. If you needed to figure out how many people actually showed up to know how many rounds you were going to play, you may have to wait to make that announcement in round two. Um, really just each time is an opportunity. So if you do forget something, there is always, uh, well, not always, there is often another, a next round that you can give that information. The the only other thing I can think of to add to this whole list and is that you don't want to keep players in the dark when you have a major technical difficulty. Um, it does happen. Every once in a while, whatever software you're running will stop functioning. Internet connection will go down. You lose power. Something will happen to the computer you're on. Whatever. There's there's a dozen different reasons why things can go wrong, and, and they do, because that's human nature, and that's also the nature of technology these days. So when that happens, take a few minutes, assess what's going on, figure it out. But if you think it's going to be a minimum of 20 or 30 minutes before you've resolved it, you need to start talking to players and let them know that you have a delay. That's the only thing I can think of that, that wasn't mentioned before. Yeah, and a, and a real practical you know, delay situation that occurs is if you're at one of these situations where you have a, you know, a called draft is a good spot where you're going to wait on potentially one of the draft pods to catch up because you were, you had 10, 15 pods and one of them uh, desynchronized. It's very common. It's like, Hey folks, we're waiting on, you know, a couple of pods to catch up to us. Please, you know, hang out and remain silent for us. We'll get, we'll be drafting here again in just a few minutes. Um, but that goes within it, just like you're saying, Charles. It may be a technical issue. Uh, giving them an idea of how long they're waiting uh, is important. It's also a chance to, I think, depending on uh, what's going on, giving them a task, if possible, also will help you. Like if you know you're having an issue getting round one pair, uh, maybe you take that extra second to have them 
counter deck list a little bit longer <laughs> before you collect it. Alright. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um so let's let's talk about we've talked about a lot of things about what to do. Alright. And there's not a whole lot of ways that you can botch your head judge announcements. Like obviously we've got giving giving uh uh, not enough information, which hopefully we've gone over this, but there's the flip side of that, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, you could talk for way too long. Yeah. So if if your announcements are taking more than two-ish minutes, give or take, you've probably started to convey more information than you need to. Okay. Or you're stalling for a particular problem. But if you're if you're taking if you're taking longer than than two minutes, this is um, like slow play. You know, it, we know it when we see it. You know, it, it, <laughs> if you're taking too long, uh, the players will know it. Your fellow judges will know it. Think about what you're going to say before you start. Try and make sure that your list is concise. Save some stuff for later. Make cuts where you need to. You know, don't play 41 cards. Play 40. Uh, and and keep your keep your announcements brief. And a great way to know if your announcements are too long is to run through them before you actually say them. And and this is this is for real. Like how many of you have the listeners have been to a conference where the judge has done a presentation and they have a 50 minute time allocated and they either do a 20 minute presentation or they're at the end of 50 minutes they still have like 15 slides left to do. Those are those are people that did not practice with uh, uh, an eye on how long the presentation was actually taken. When you do when you do the head judge announcements, you do not want those words coming out of your mouth to be the first time that you've thought of those words. I can't tell you the number of times I've made announcements for events at this point, and every single time I at least make a bulleted list of what I want to cover. It is. So easy in the moment to forget something important. Yeah, I I don't think I have ever not made a bulleted list of these are the things I want to say. And it's still even number of rounds, number of players, like even that basic stuff. A anything that I'm actually going to get up and talk to people in advance, I have that list in front of me. And I will refer to it to make sure not only when I get to the end that I think I've hit everything, but, you know, every once in a while you get you get distracted by something else happening in the hall and it's very hard to reset if you don't have that in front of you ready to go um okay so that that is practicing but there's also that's practicing what you're going to say but there's also practicing how you say it right yeah i think if you're needing to use a microphone you want to make sure that you're using language that has a better chance of being successful over a microphone so using Simpler language, uh, making sure your pacing is uh, one that is going to convey, uh, carry through the, the room well. Yep. Uh, yeah, enunciate, uh, speak speak clearly. You know, there's a lot of people that the way they talk is they just kind of, you know, have a, have a little bit of a mushroom mouth kind of talk thing. And that doesn't translate very well over a microphone. I, I definitely have a different voice when I'm using a microphone. I get, Sam gives me a hard time for... <laughs> not enunciating all the time, uh, but I'm trying to be very clear when I'm on a microphone. I think it's also important, uh, I know this is what not to do, but I think, you know, 
I would say if you're not to do is don't just have your head down in your notes though. Like make sure you are looking at the people you are speaking to, even if you're using a microphone, just to see what the body language is of the folks you're trying to communicate with. If you've got people looking at you and kind of nodding along, well, you're probably getting your message. You have a better chance of getting your message across. If they are all just still shuffling their decks and talking to their, their neighbor, there's a chance that the mic might not be on. Yeah, or your voice isn't carrying or something. But yeah, definitely, I guess what not to do is ignoring the body language of the people you're talking to. For sure. Um, and the way you can see that body language is by facing the players as much as possible. Like if you don't want to have your back to players, because if you are, if you are looking in one direction, your voice is projecting in one direction. If there are players behind you, they, they, they don't know what you're saying. This is, this is actually a funny, ahead, this is, this is especially true when you don't have the mic and when you're, you're giving announcements to a row of players, if you're giving the announcement from the middle of the row, um, and, and your back is turned to half of them, they, they, the back that, you know, the, the ones that are behind you cannot hear you. It's, I was about, this is exactly the thing I was about to say. I, I can't agree with you more because I've definitely seen judges who are like, oh, my, my event is one row. I'm going to stand in the middle of the row and give my announcement. That is a perfectly reasonable plan until you start talking to one end of the, <laughs> one end of the row and you naturally want to turn and talk to people. But you can't really do it. It is just better to be at one end and try to convey it across the whole row. Like stand like maybe at a quarter of, of the way. So like if it's if you've got a row of let's just say twenty-four people, if you're standing at like around the like third or fourth table, you can kind of turn and get most folks. But if you get dead center, you're only talking to the first like the people in front of you. And you're going to have a bad time. I, I want to say this in such a way that's not mean, but at the same time, I'm going to say it really clearly. So there's no, there's no ambiguity here. Don't be lazy about this. You know, don't, don't, don't say, okay, I only have the one little one sentence announcement that I have to do. I'm just going to do it from where I am. Please get up and go to the end of the row so that you can project correctly. And so everybody can see you. And so that, you know, you're getting the message across. Don't be lazy. And, and if you and need to, Go down the row and make the same announcements again. Do it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's plenty of times where I just you. I've definitely done this, especially for a sealed, a limited event, whether it's two at a giant individual. You made some announcement and you've gotten the players started, and then you realize you forgot something or you need to clarify something. Rather than try to get all of their attention again and make one more large announcement, just go make the announcement. Uh, you know. Every you know eight players or so, just let them know again. Uh, you, you, the information gets conveyed. If they've already opened the packs, they're probably going to be there for twenty minutes or more. So you've got time to go make this uh, this conversation happen and get this information uh, out to them. And this is this is something for another judge who is out there on the floor with you. Okay, if you are making head judge announcements, if if Billy Willie is making head judge announcements for an event and I'm at the opposite end of the row and I can't hear him, I should probably be giving Billy Willie some sort of hand signals or something to change what he is doing in some form or fashion or give some sort of indication that we can't hear you back where we are. Absolutely. Um, I have had the pleasure of making a lot of 
uh, calling drafts for the Pro Tour, and it is the number of times people have given me feedback of you're not loud enough or, you know, we can't hear you or, you know, whatever it might be uh, is almost every event someone's giving me some sort of feedback. And it, it's important. And so, again, it's that not putting your head down, being mindful of who can give you that information, whether it's the players themselves or other judges on the event. Just be mindful and be watching uh, for those cues to how you can react and be better at the role you're taking on. The more the more practice you get at this, the more you're going to recognize that every event hall works different acoustically, and the mics set up even between different times they use the same uh, setup at the same event hall six months apart could also be different. So you have to adapt and overcome when those situations arrive. And I want to say I uh, I've made a number of announcements, but I am always nervous the first time I pick up a microphone. And I, I don't know if that's ever going to change, uh, but I definitely have to I have to get talking because I, I, the number of times that people give me feedback of, you know, something is wrong within my first couple of announcements or my first like 15, 20 seconds of making an announcement. I'm like, yeah, I know my voice is probably going to crack. I'm probably going to skip a beat. I might say something weird. It happens every time. So a thing I did to break the ice in the last the last command fest was when I picked up the mic. I immediately said, you know, uh, Magic Players, uh, just a quick announcement. Uh, is there a Mike or a Michael in the room, please? Please raise your hand if you are a Mike or a Michael. And I said, thank you. Uh, this concludes the mic check. <laughs> and the groans, wow. I, the groans I got <laughs> just energized me to a level that I could have made. <laughs> I could have gone on more and more announcements. It was wonderful. Uh, um brilliant yes <laughs> yes um okay so do we so, so do we have anything else is 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 that everything did we did we cover the whole topic thoroughly yes but i'm gonna add this one caveat and it's gonna be the same caveat that we had back when we talked about cover letters okay we gave a lot of information for cover letters. When writing a cover letter, we said, you want to include this, you want to include this, you want to include this, you want to include this. And then when we got to the end, we were like, all right, if you do everything that we said, your cover letter is going to be too long. It's got <laughs> too much stuff. So I'm going to convey that we've gone over a bunch of stuff as what you want to have in your head judge announcements here. If you include all of that, it's going to be too long. Okay, you are going to want to make decisions as to what is and is not important. You're going to want to realize that you can spread certain things out, but you want to make sure that the information gets to the players before they're going to need it. And sometimes you want to include information early just to prevent questions being asked repeatedly. Like that's one of the reasons why we tell players how many or we tell, say how many players are in the event, uh, because Players are going to ask because they want to do tiebreaker maths and stuff like that. So we tell them so that we don't get asked that question a gajillion times. So just some food for thought. Billy Willie? No, I think just making, I think practicing and getting experience making announcements is important. So if you're a newer judge and you're thinking about this topic, just pay attention to the folks around you, what they're, what they're doing and ask some questions. You know, Hey, I, I noticed you, gave this uh, instruction to the players uh, is the reason you gave it to them now and not at this other time. And just kind of ask folks that you're around why they're doing it the way that they are. And they may have some good information for you. 
uh, announcements are need to be tailored to the specific event, and each event is unique. So you've got to make sure you're crafting them the best way you can. And the more repetition you get, the better you'll get at it, and it'll become uh, closer to second nature. And literally, I'm going to, I guess, riff off of that just a little bit. If you're doing it for the very first time and you're listening to this episode and you've got all these different notes and these different ideas and these different things, talk to a mentor. Uh, reach out to somebody that you uh, respect in the program. Reach out to somebody who has done this 10 times, 50 times, 100 times, whatever, uh, some, some thousand times, as, as probably a few of them have, and, and see what you can learn from them. That's all I've got. You want to see us out then? Sounds like fun. Let's do that. So, all right, that's our episode. Join us next time when we talk about, well, we really should plan this out a little bit more. Um, Brian, do you know what we're talking about in two weeks? Yeah, we're going to talk about how we didn't actually give Billy Willie a proper introduction at the beginning of this episode. So I'm going to be, we're going to be talking about how to record that and edit that back into the beginning of this episode. Brilliant. I love it. Let's do it. Okay. Until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Until then, I'm Charles Feather and I keep it fair. I'm Brian Prillman and I keep editing mistakes. All right. <laughs> hey, Matt. Yo. At the beginning, I, and I realized this a while in there, we did not give you, we just were like, and we've got Billy Willie on, and we're going to be talking about head judge announcements. Yeah. And, and I realized about five minutes after that, that we didn't actually introduce who you were because I knew who you are. Charles knows who you are. And... And I, but, but the but the guests don't or the the, the right listeners be, don't because it's, it's been, been four, four years. years right. So what I would like to do is right here is do a a brief introduction to uh uh Willie the Billy. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Um. All right. Uh, we are joined by special guest Matt Williams, also known as Billy Willie. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Hey. Uh, now, Matt has, or Billy Willie, has been a guest on this podcast uh, several times in the past, and he actually recorded one of the uh, the thank yous that was played at the end of episode uh, 300, and you, you made me feel feelings. Aw. Well, we've been, we've been uh, around Magic together for a long time. You know, it's been, what, 13, 14 years, something like that now? Yes. Yes. Uh, so, however, while... We've known each other for a very long time. It's been four years since the last time you were on the podcast, so maybe you can uh, let the let the listeners know a little bit of your bona fides. Sure. Uh, so I'm Matt, or Billy Willie. I uh, am from Florida. I've been a Magic Judge for about 13 years, give or take, maybe going on 14 at this point. Um, I have judged everything in that time period, uh, almost all the different formats. Um, most recently, uh, I've done a couple of the pro tours that have come back with Magic Cons. Uh, I used to do large-scale events uh, before we kind of saw that get stymied by world events, and I've made a few announcements over my over my uh, <laughs> just a few time period as a judge. Uh, yes, uh, 
Mr. Mr. Williams was also under the old program was one of the uh, GP head judges. Yeah, um, I uh, reached that um, that tier and got to head judge uh, a number of. At the time, it was the Grand Prix, so they were at Magic Fest. So looking at events that were, you know, approached over close to 2,000 players at times. Uh, yeah, it was a lot, of fun, a lot of fun. All right. Well, now that our listeners are familiar with who you are and why you're qualified to talk about head judge announcements, we're going to go ahead and segue into that. Sounds good. Hey, and there we go. <laughs> 